On this week's episode of Dreamers and Disciples, we talk about the important but painful journey of grief, how grieving assigns meaning to what has been lost, and practical guidance for how to walk with someone who is hurting. All of that on today's Dreamers and Disciples. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Wade Joy. We have an important conversation today with my friend, Brian Schindler. Brian is the founder of Loop Jolt. It's a brand and messaging strategy company that I work with. He does a ton behind the scenes for our ministry, and he's also a good friend. Brian and his wife, Hannah, are walking through a very real, very current journey of grief after their son, Cyrus, went to heaven on the day he was born. And I believe what he shares will help anyone who is currently in a grieving process and will also be of particularly practical help for anyone walking with someone who is grieving. And so this is an important topic. I don't want to waste any time getting into it. So here's my conversation with Brian. All right, Brian, welcome to the podcast. It's kind of weird to have you on this side of the screen since you are often behind (laughs) the scenes, which people might not realize. I am. I am. I'm your man behind the curtain. (laughs) You are. Or what is it in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, the man in the chair? Oh, I'm, I'll take the man in the chair way more. Yeah, that's, that's me. (laughs) I'm your, I'm your guy in the chair for sure. Well, man, it's good to have you on here. You've been, for those of you who don't know, Brian's been a friend for years, but we've worked together a lot over the last year Mm -hmm. uh, as he's helped me launch Dreamers and Disciples and my Performer to Pastor course and just with my weekly communication with emails. Brian, you do a lot. And so I I want to thank you for that. Thank you. You're also also a fellow Star Wars nerd. So we share that in common as well. To the end, I will never not be a Star Wars fan. One of these days, I'm going to start uh, an auxiliary bonus podcast all about Star Wars. You just wait. I, think I don't think you understand. Calling. I've already been branding it in my head for the last like <laughs> for the last month. So we got dreamers and disciples, and so soon we'll probably have like Jesus and Jedi's. So that way, oh. we just kind of like you know bring the gospel into it. You heard it here first, my heard friends. Heard it here first. <laughs> but you know. I wanted to have you on this podcast because you and I have had a lot of conversations over the last year about, you know, the heart behind dreamers and disciples and really trusting God with our heart, trusting God with our dreams. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of dreaming is and praying and and drawing close to the Lord is also walking through disappointment and learning Mm -hmm. what that looks like. And, you know, we've talked about it a lot, but then the last six months, you and your wife, Hannah, your family has walked through it and lived it yeah. and, and grieved and experienced a deep, deep pain in ways that I don't know if I can fully comprehend, mm. but in our conversations recently, I feel like what God is teaching you is so rich that it would really bless and encourage mm. the people that that watch this, that listen to it. So first of all, thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for being Absolutely. willing to share your story and to share Cyrus's story. And why don't we just start there? Why don't you share as much as you're comfortable sharing? Yeah. um, I actually had this conversation with somebody yesterday uh, and they were asking, how do we talk about our son Cyrus and how do they bring it up? And I had simply asked them, do you love talking about your kids? And she said, well, I'll talk about my kids all day. And I said, same here. So um, about six months ago, we were pregnant with our second child. Um, his name is Cyrus. His name is Cyrus Stone Schindler. Um, and about halfway through the pregnancy, we learned that he would not be able to sustain his own life outside of pregnancy. And we went through the journey of doctor's appointments, of scans, of ultrasounds, of options, and everything um, all led us to um, his birthday, which was in December, um, when we met him and returned him to the Lord on the same day. Um, and so the last six months for us has been a journey of great anticipation to meet your child that you have prayed for and want to meet so desperately. And at the same point in time, understanding what it truthfully means for your child to be the Lord's first and mm-hmm. to walk the journey of grieving the loss that we 
have in the absence that not just us, but our entire family, both uh, my wife and I and our firstborn Hampton and our our own families, the families we come from, right? Because this is a this is an absence that now all of us feel in our family uh, with the loss of our son Cyrus. And so, yeah, the last six months has really been a lot of that tension of clinging to hope for what tomorrow looks like and how to stay present today. And at the same point in time, never denying our grief and our loss um, and to mourn and to remember and to honor his legacy. You know, you mentioned right there, clinging to hope. Hmm. And I remember a conversation you and I had when you were here. It was probably September, October-ish. It was in the fall. And you were helping um, Ferris and I brainstorm something that we were about to launch. And you mentioned that y'all had just gotten a very serious and scary diagnosis about Cyrus. Yeah. And you were praying and hoping and believing for full healing. How do you process having believed for that Hmm. and prayed for that and then not getting the answer that you prayed for? How do you still have the hope to pray, the hope to still trust God? Walk us through the messiness of that process. Yeah. Um, Well, here's the real messiness of that entire situation. Um, So whenever I remember the conversation that you're talking about very vividly, um, and I just remember saying, here is the initial report that we were given. Here is what our greatest fear is in this. Um, We hadn't realized the breadth of his diagnosis or kind of how this was all going to play out. We just knew that something wasn't there and we knew what that could be, but we were also hoping that the ultrasound tech that noticed it was wrong. And so the journey that weekend, excuse me, I remember very vividly, there were three days in between the time that we received an ultrasound um, and then we were going to have another one the next week. And I remember telling my wife that weekend in the car, the Lord can do anything in three days. And Jesus was raised in three days, right? There's so much hope in the resurrection of Christ that we were clinging to. Um, And then that third day came around and the ultrasound tech who we saw that time saw that she, or thought that she saw something that we were originally told wasn't there. Um, I won't get into the full medical part of it too in depth, um, but basically the start of his diagnosis found with the absence of his kidneys. And when those don't form, it kind of starts a chain reaction of things that um, have a harder time forming or don't form overall. It's an extremely rare um, genetic condition. Nothing can be preventative towards it. Nothing can cause it. It just kind of happened. And where some people say it happened, we say we were chosen. Um, he was chosen with for that. The Lord chose him. The Lord chose our family to to honor him and to have him as a part of our family. And so we thought in this moment where she, this text said, you know, I think I, I see one. I see a kidney. We thought we can do anything with with that. We now have hope for a life. Mm-hmm. It might be a really hard life in the beginning, but there's a lot of hope in that. Um, and I remember in the car driving home, just weeping with with so much joy and gratitude of the Lord is finishing the work that he started in in our son. And we shared the news with people and we were excited. I mean, I remember texting you. I remember texting a couple other people and saying like, the Lord has done something incredible um, and has given our son a kidney. And then the next day came and we got the full report because we went to a specialist and we call it like miracle whiplash when you think you've experienced something really, really incredible. And then you realize that something isn't the way that you thought it was going to be. Um, and so that's the messiness of it. The messiness is we had expectations. We thought those expectations were being met. And then those expectations had to shift on a dime. And we learned that his life wouldn't be um, lived here on earth outside of a miracle from Christ. That was our verbiage. Outside of something that God wants to do that we cannot force, that we cannot convince him to do. This is all according to his will. Outside of that, we will be returning our son to the Lord um, shortly after or before we ever get to meet him. And so I re- I remember thinking in those moments of, okay, there's there is still hope because ultimately the life that we live here is so finite 
and the life that we live here on earth is so temporary to the life that we are promised to live in Christ. And that really became our our anchor of not eternity with our family, but eternity with Christ. Because Christ would be the one who would bring us all the healing that we so desperately need, even though my own healing might look different than what my son needed healed from. Wow. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, I remember getting that text from you mm-hmm. saying everything looks hopeful. good. Yeah, it looks hopeful. Hopeful, like it looks, it'll still be a hard road, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, one of the best case scenarios that we were praying for. And then that miracle whiplash being just devastating. Yeah. You mentioned you had this diagnosis and outside yeah. of a miracle from Christ, it wouldn't change. In those remaining months before Cyrus was born, what did your prayers look like? They were the most honest prayers that I have ever prayed to the Lord. Um, At the time, we didn't know that he was our second-born son. We didn't know what his name was. And I remember the the call that we got from a doctor, um, because, you know, with you go through genetic testing to know what's the full scope of this look like. Will this be repeated in any future children? How does this work? What, you know, because we're just looking for any kind of answers that we can cling to that give our child some form of identity, right? So especially we were, we were wondering, is he a boy? Is he a girl? Um, what does this look like? And I remember getting the call um, and my wife was holding our, our firstborn for a nap and I, we put the headphones in to listen to the doctor and, um, said that it was a boy. And we were shocked because we were just, we felt in the secret places of our heart that the Lord told us that this was going to be our daughter. But getting that call, I remember very vividly my wife saying, do you want to hold Hampton for a nap? And I remember holding him and just weeping and telling the Lord, you know what it's like to give up a son. I don't want to know what that feels like. I don't want to know what you felt when you had to lay your son down at an altar for the glory of your will. And I remember in that moment, I handed that to the Lord and I was met with a feeling, and it wasn't even an audible voice, but it was just a feeling of, I've had to do it too, and so I can walk you through this. And I can be the guy, I can be the God that you need to, to deliver or to, to return that, that fear or this feeling or this remorse or this, this lamenting and give you what I know that I gave, what my will brings, which is peace. And so that was one of the first prayers that I really vividly remember praying and knowing and feeling like I got a response in that moment. Um, and then our prayers really shifted to, um, I think I think the journey of my prayers moved from what I want to happen selfishly. Mm-hmm. I think it's really easy as believers that when we expect something to happen, it's still there is an ounce of selfishness to it where we want what we think is best in a scenario. And I remember finding a lot of peace and not pursuing what I thought was best or not asking God what I thought was best, but submitting to what his best looked like for my son. Not for me, not for my family, but for my son. And I remember praying to the Lord one day and just saying, you know what, God, if you want to bring, if you want to bring your child home, because again, he is, I'm, I'm gifted to be a steward of his life, but ultimately we all belong to God. So if you want to bring your child home before I feel like is fair, then I'm going to find joy in the fact that my child will never experience the darkness of this earth, will never experience the heartbreak of sin, will never experience the distance from you, will never will never know anything but mm. fullness of life in heaven with Christ, then I can be okay with that. Wow. That's such a a beautiful perspective, but one that I have to imagine could not have come easily at all. It was not an an easy fight. There was a lot of times where um, I never really asked why 
it was more so a question of how are we now going to explain this to our to our son now, right? How are we going to explain this to any future children that we might be blessed with? How do we explain this journey to doctors who don't understand the choices that we are making in this process to let our son Cyrus's body and Hannah's body as his mother do what the Lord has designed both of them to do in this process. And to try to honor God and God's design as much as possible can really be dumbfounding for a lot of people when when other procedures or other avenues or other methodologies or you know, whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it, seem easier to handle right. or to go through, you know? Yeah. I want to just revisit one thing you said mm-hmm. that I can't get off my mind is, mm. you know, when you were praying about, you know, God, I, I want what is your best for mm. Cyrus rather than my best, you know, and I think that's, that's the heart of surrender. That's the heart of trust. Yeah. But as a human, I look at that and it can be so hard for me because I'm like, well, how could that not be God's best yeah. to, to want to heal your son or, or, you know, someone listening who they're going through a, a diagnosis or someone they love is. But was there anything that helped you move past those kind of thoughts and that wrestle back and forth to truly be like, okay, yes, I can get to that place of trusting your best God? I think that for for me, I'm a very um, I'm a logical thinker, which is sometimes my greatest my greatest strength, but also my greatest weakness when it comes to my faith. And I try to find um, patterns, or I try to mind map something and use a logical decision making. Like, okay, if this is this, then that means that this is also this, and I, I connect the dots that way. Um, and the idea of what God's best looked like for my son all pointed back to his will and the Lord willed this before we ever walked through it, before we ever thought about having another child. The Lord willed his life to look different than what we might've expected. I have to come to that place. I have to be okay with understanding that nothing that happens on this earth in my life or in anybody's life is outside of the will of God. So I have to come to that place first. Then when I can remind myself that both the good things that happen to me and also the the seasons and the struggles that God might place on my life, whether they be self-inflicted or just by his hand, those are also good for me. And those are like then I can say, okay, then God's will is where I want to stay, regardless. Mm-hmm. Because God's will is where I can find comfort. Because if if I remind myself that God is in control, then I can also remind myself that God is not absent. And when I start to go down the road where I feel like something is not happening the way that I want it to, I can sometimes in that thought process feel like authority is mine in that situation when all authority is to God. And so I in this journey of what is God's best. I have to trust in God's authority and I have to oh, give him yeah. the authority ba- back to him. Um, somebody very close to us who has walked through us um, and walked through with our family in prayer told us what the essence of lamenting is. And I never really understood what weeping felt like. I never understood what lamenting felt like, but the act of lamenting is the act of giving up. It's saying, I this is no longer mine to carry. And in those moments where, yes, would I have given everything possible for this to not have been the outcome, where we don't have him in our family, or where every family photo that we now take, there will be an absence, and there will be something missing or somebody missing. I would have done everything that I could have, but it's not my power to be able to shift and change God's best for someone else. And so it is hard as a father to think that what you want for your kids isn't as important as what God wants for your kids. It's a really hard place to come to Mm -hmm. as a father. And it's something that can only come, I think, with what you're saying with this act of surrender. Um, But I also have to remind myself that my kids are not mine. They're Mm -hmm. God's. They're God's first. Everything is God's first. Everything I have is God's first. Nothing in my life is created or manifested by my own hand it's all God. And so I think that this, the journey of surrendering that, or even accepting the fact that God's best 
might look like different than what I wanted started with me accepting the fact that if God's best was for me to release what I thought was my control over a situation, then I'm going to start there and almost almost elevate that process outside of what is happening to it's you can say lift it up or even go deeper like the thing beneath the thing the thing beneath the thing is that I want to control what's going on right the reality of the fact is I can't mm-hmm. and and in this logical place that my brain starts to to make these decisions or starts to find comfort I was met with the ultimate comfort which is the spirit of Christ and the and the, and the hand of God and felt like okay, if I can lead my family in this truth that what God's best for Cyrus look may look different than what we want, we're still getting God's best and our family has not left his hand. Yeah. No, thank you for walking through that thought process. I, I, it could have been completely jumbled. I don't like it. Sometimes these, like, they, they, these things get in my head and I, and I make these connections and I hope they make sense. I pray they make sense. I think it's easy for the listener to sometimes think you had you sat down and you had that whole conversation with God in 10 minutes and then you had it. No. Done. This was like weeks and weeks of you wrestling and struggling. And some days it's easy to grab onto that, right? And some days mm-hmm. that is the thing that's holding holding on to me. And then some days I still question like why why did I have to give up my child? Why did my wife have to go through postpartum without a baby? Why is our family incomplete? And those questions still remain, but I also have to be reminded that a journey of grief is not something that anybody should ever feel like they have to get over. A journey of grief is a lifelong journey. And in the absence of my own answers, I sometimes laugh when I say this, but then I also find a lot of comfort in this and the promise of eternity with Christ. Some of my my greatest questions I will never get an answer to on this side of heaven. And even when I receive the answers in heaven, I won't care because I will be in eternity with Christ, which is the greatest reward that I could ever ask for. Because that means that my life is now complete. My own sin is now, is now gone. My, my need for Christ is now fulfilled. Um, I know I said my a lot there, but it, but it's one of it's it is it's just that process of understanding. I will never get an answer here, but even when I do get an answer, it won't matter. Yeah, I think one one thing I've noticed in our conversations, but even in this, is how anchored your faith is now in eternity. How anchored mm. it is in when we are in the presence of Jesus face to face. Yeah, and I think that's. I think sometimes it's so easy to think that even as Christians, that this world is all there is and that Mm. heaven or the new creation is just almost like we think of it as something like down the road that's lesser than. It's hard to like put reality to it. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is no, that's actually the deepest reality that when we get to it, everything that we're in now will pale in comparison. Yeah to the fullness of that reality. And so I think there's a richness of your faith that comes from that, that is hard fought for, Hmm. but is so much deeper than a superficial faith that I know at times I've struggled with. And and so you have something that is, I feel like is much more substantial now. I I don't wanna even say on the other side of grief, because like you said, it's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process. But it's forming something in you. Can you talk more about grief and maybe to somebody who's listening to this, who is walking through a grief that they never thought they would experience, what would you say to comfort them and to help them embrace that? Welcome to a really horrible club that nobody ever wants to be a part of. I mean, like, and so, and let me, let me say this about what you were just talking about uh, before I jump into grief. When you begin what, and I think this is also the this is a real mile marker for us as a family because over the last year we've really tried to find teaching and scripture and and sermons that point to Jesus. Um, there is it's said in church for forever. Jesus is the hope of the world, 
okay, so if, if the world has got, a, and this is where my, this, what, I'm going to let you into how my brain sees that and kind of like where my brain goes with that. So if, the, if, it's the, if he is the hope of the world, the world has some of the darkest evils and hardest battles that will ever exist in human history. And if Jesus is the hope for those situations, and I have Jesus, mm. what more is there to ever ask for? And when you talk about eternity, there's um, somebody said that that in life, somebody shared with us that in life, people experience it. And I think that we experience it on the day that our son Cyrus was born, um, that the veil between heaven and earth becomes so thin that it almost becomes indistinguishable. And it's usually in moments where you're grieving something that doesn't feel like it's intended in God's original design. Um, I truly believe that loss in any scope of anything mm -hmm. is not a part of God's original design for earth. Yeah. Um, I think that God had designed this earth to be a dwelling place amongst his creation. Um, that's why the new Jerusalem will return to earth. God will restore Jerusalem and the garden here. Yeah. And when I think about that, and when I even think about the fact that one of the first journeys of grief in the Bible is Adam and Eve having to bury their son. It starts right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that grief now exists because sin exists in this world and the world had been changed away from how God intended it to be. And I say that, please know, I say that with the utmost reverence for God's design and God's will, but that's, when you look at scripture, that's what I have derived from it and learned is that the Lord wants us to be with him eternally. But that's also why he sent Jesus Mm -hmm. And so Jesus is my, the only thing that I can cling to, to experience that. But I also have to check myself and we have to check ourselves as parents of, are we wanting heaven more to be with our son or are we wanting heaven more to be with Christ? And that's mm -hmm. that balance of continuing to surrender what that looks like and what, what are we faith filled for? What are we hoping for? And now even talking about grief and going into the journey of grief, that's one of those questions that continues to come into our mind of who is going to be the antidote to my grief? Who is going to be the one to comfort me when, when I'm alone and, and a wave of grief comes over me? It's Christ all the time, every time. And, and to kind of um, I'm a big fan, and I know you are too, of like, I'm going to level the playing field and I'm going to invite everybody into this conversation. A counselor that I had at one point in time in my life shared with me, um, anytime there is change in your life, there is loss. Loss that begs to be grieved. I think that we associate the term grief with the heaviest battles in life. However, grief is just what is left when something you had or thought you would have is no longer what you have or it turned out different. And so yeah. that grief could look very different. Like there could be people that are, that we've met even, people that we never knew we would ever be able to align with in the way that we are grieving. We all carry grief. It's just the way, the weight of that grief feels heavier for some or looks heavier or is felt heavier than others. Because again, I'm not going to grieve like, cool. Anytime there's change, there's loss. I have to change my tire. I lost a tire. That actually happened while we were receiving <laughs> son's diagnosis, which was just oh, another man. one of those. It was wild. But I'm not going to grieve the loss of my tire. I'm going to grieve the fact that like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to pay the money. I don't want to pay a couple hundred bucks. So that's not the headspace. Got to change a tire on the side of the road when I've never changed a tire before. So I, I, it's okay for me to, to accept the fact that there's some loss that isn't heavy, mm -hmm. but then there are losses, whether it be um, the loss of a child, the loss of a family member, the loss of a friendship or a relationship or a job or an opportunity though the the heavier the grief is what I say, like the longer the journey. And so when you've got a really heavy grief in your life or when you have a loss in your life that that feels almost insurmountable, I, I would invite you to understand, okay, buckle up. Like you're in this for the long haul. But it's also one of those things of, thank God Christ is also in this for the long haul as well. Yeah. I think that was a really helpful breakdown because you know, someone could be listening to this 
and they haven't experienced, you know, something as heavy as the loss of a child. And so they might wonder how this applies to them, but they have experienced mm. a job loss and everything they built their identity on for 20 or 30 years has changed. Mm -hmm. And there's a grief associated to that. And there's yep. a journey that has to, they have to embark on. Mm -hmm. And if you don't embrace the grief, you don't get what the Lord wants to teach you from that journey. Yeah. And you don't make space for the new thing. But with with your particular circumstance and you know many people listening or watching, there is a lifelong grief that you're going to bear. How do you, mm -hmm. yes, Christ is with you. And that is a, that is the anchor, the foundation of our hope. Yep. But how have you found ways when, when grief just comes upon you in a wave? Cause you and I will have moments where we're talking, we're in a meeting and everything feels like we're just talking about, we might be talking about yeah. Star Wars. We might be talking about yeah. business, but then something just unexpectedly will bring a wave of grief and it'll hit you. Yeah. How do you navigate those times in life right now? I'll share this first. Thank you for giving those times space. I think one of the hardest things that people find on their grief journey or on their journey with grief or whatever, you know, however you want to name it, space is one of the hardest things to be given and to give yourself in that I've come to a place where I'm telling myself all the time, it's okay to take your time. Mm. It's okay to not be fast in certain things. It's okay to have certain things take longer, but it's also okay to give yourself the time to grieve and the space to grieve. Um, I truthfully believe, um, and this is just more of my emotional journey as a person, um, which I won't get into all the details because that's a different conversation for another time, but um, I believe that when a feeling comes upon you, whether it be grief or whether it be frustration or joy, especially and almost exclusively if it is a feeling that God has felt himself, then that is a part of our innate good design. So the feelings that I have in my life, if they align with what God has felt as well, um, then they are part of God's good design and if I have Christ, they are made righteous. That is not to say that all of my anger yeah. <laughs> is righteous anger or all of my my worry or, you know, because then there are other feelings that we take on that are I don't believe are of God. But so especially um, grief, Jesus grieved. Mm -hmm. He grieved his own his own plan. He grieved the plan that that God and Christ decided upon which is for him to be the sacrificial lamb. He asked, Father, take this cup from me. I don't want this. But in that space, and I can imagine if he didn't give himself the space to feel that, which I know is a, a, is a really dangerous playing field because <laughs> the, the, he, is, he is ultimately righteous and blameless, and that's, and that's part of Christ's design. But he also wept when, when his friend Lazarus died. He gave himself the space to grieve. So the space to grieve is modeled for us in scripture. And so when a wave of grief comes upon me, I tell myself, okay, like I'm going to let myself write it out. If that means that, um, that I excuse, and, and in our home, it's more of like, if I need a minute then, or if Hannah needs a minute, then we give our, we give each other the space. And it's almost like you, it's almost like this unspoken language. And we, and there have been times that I have, um, put my face in a pillow and just let myself cry and let myself wail um, before the Lord and, and mourn. And then there are other times where it's more of a, of a silent, just somberness. Um, but it's, it's never denying my spouse and, and excuse me, never denying myself the space to grieve and doing my very best at that because there's sometimes that that's not the case. And so, um, we kind of have this language in our family of I'm just riding a wave right now. Um, and, and I just need a minute. And so I might not, you know, if we're in the car, I don't want to, this is also one of those tensions of having kids when you're on your grief journey, um, of, I don't want to scare my child who's in the back seat. And so it's just, it, it might not, I might not be able to fully express what my heart wants to express, but I'm at least letting myself feel it. Cause I believe if you deny yourself those feelings, when they're whispering to you, eventually they're going to come back and they're going to be screaming at you. And yeah. those are those times where 
where that would almost feel like it's too much to handle. Um, and I've had those moments in my life where my where my pain has been screaming at me because I've left it undealt with or I've, I've shoved it down for so long. Um, and so part of it is also, I never want to experience that again. But at the same point, if I look to Christ and Christ's example, then I see that he gave himself the space to grieve. Yeah, that's when we learn from Christ's example and his grieving process, the times when he modeled that for us in scripture and everything you've talked about, I think grieving assigns value and meaning Mm -hmm. to what has been lost. Absolutely. And so there's, it's another form of love, just a much more painful expression of it. And I think that this is one of the the conversations that we had, I think you and I even had this conversation um, and and we had with a lot of people closest to us uh, whenever, I never want anybody to apologize for crying with us. I never want anybody to apologize for grieving with us because their grief gives my child meaning that that is, that gives him an importance outside of my own family. Mm-hmm. And like you said, grief assigns meaning. And, you know, we talk about Star Wars and Marvel a lot and they, this wonderfully profound line that came out of nowhere is what is grief if not love persevering? Um, and, and there is a beautiful sentiment to that because it is this idea of I grieve because it was important. And I, so I grieve the life of my child because his life is the, one of the most important things to me, period. Um, you could be grieving a job because like you said, that job was who you were, what you placed your identity in, um, for so long or what, or what, uh, what gave you opportunities that you never had before, or you could be grieving a marriage that, that is completely no longer what you thought it was or the loss of a love. I mean, there's so many things that, that we assign meaning to. And the beauty is that we get to assign that meaning. Um, and, and I think that that's what I, what I have loved and truthfully have loved about this journey is that I'm always afraid that, um, I think that, uh, any other family member who, or any other person who has walked the journey of child loss, um, it's so easy to jump into the day-to-day and almost like your brain is tricking yourself in a moment like nothing has happened. And it's the times of grief that I welcome even because to me, it reminds me that, no, I did I did lose a child. This something did happen. His life has meaning um, and his life has purpose and sharing that story or sharing this story is a part of us honoring his legacy and what we believe will help bring people to the Lord. And at the same point in time, my journey of grief is also the fact that his life will always mean something to me. Everything you're sharing, I feel like is, is so helpful for somebody right now who is walking through this. And also whether you're walking through it now or not, one day you will walk through a grieving process that feels too heavy for you to carry. You know, one of the ways that I think Jesus walks with us in our grief is through other people. But I know that that can be a very intimidating thing for someone. They don't know what to say because I've been in the, you know, that situation. I don't know. Do I bring this up? Do I not? Do I act like nothing happened? Because do they really want to think about this right now? But I think sometimes, at least from my experience, when we don't say anything, that can almost be worse. So can you counsel and give someone who's listening to this and they might be called to to support someone right now in their time of grief, how should they approach that? Step number one is approach it always. And I, I will say that um, on this side of it and in the wake of times that I didn't approach it for my own friends in life that were in a grieving season, um, silence is always loudest whenever you're walking with somebody who's grieving. Uh, Regardless of how heavy it is, silence is always loudest because there are times where we look back and I could, a lot of this is uh, a human side of our own pain that we are on our grieving journey, or a lot of this is a uh, maybe a little bit justified or, or you know, a little bit jaded, but there are still the the list of of people that we didn't hear from that we thought we would hear from will always be able to be recalled easier than the people that we did hear from. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I accept my humanness in that. I accept my sin in that. Um, and I was even recently going through, um, just scrolling through my messages uh, last night or a couple nights ago, and remember that I got messages that I never responded to. Um, so, and I say, I bring that up because 
Um, number one is approach it. Um, and number two is don't have expectations. There are times, some of the greatest messages that we received from people whenever we shared that um, that he had that he had passed and that he had gone to heaven after he was born um, were, hey, I don't know what to say, but I'm not going to say nothing. And that was a really empowering feeling um, because it gave me the freedom to be like, to just say to myself, okay, like I'm grateful that somebody responded or somebody reached out. I don't have to respond. Um, and so I think it's, it's approach it. Don't have expectations, but make sure that you're still empowering people um, wherever they are. Um, a really, I think for us, the most impactful ways that people helped were what do you need right now? Hmm. And somebody who is in a is is really fresh in their grief or in a really heavy part of their grief will tell you exactly what they need. Whether that is they need a meal, they need a cup of coffee, they need somebody to come and clean their house, they need to pick like I remember one time, one of the most meaningful things for us was um, a friend of ours said, hey, I'm at Target. Do you need anything for the house? What can I get for you? And I remember texting back, like, we just need toilet paper and paper towels. Um, And this was a couple of days after Cyrus was born. Um, I don't even know why it's getting me emotional thinking about it right now, but I just remember they, they were, they did that. They dropped it off on their, they dropped it off on our porch, didn't even ring the doorbell or anything. And there was a gift for our son, um, for Hampton, our oldest. And I remember how seen I felt in that moment because at the same point in time, somebody who's grieving, it might be really weird to ask for things that you feel like should be a part of our house all the time. Toilet paper and paper towels, right? Or it should be like, hey, I I mean, put whatever you want on it. If you need laundry detergent, if you need toothpaste, like there's there's almost a level of embarrassment. Um, but at the same point in time, when somebody comes... And maybe that's even my own feeling. I'm not trying to project that onto anybody in their journey whatsoever. But I remember the people that always said, I'm at Costco. What can I get your family? I'm at this. Or, hey, I'm I'm running through a coffee shop. Can I pick you up a latte? And I think that the more granular that you can make an offer, the more, the more specific you can make an offer, the easier the decision-making is for the person who is grieving. Um, the last thing that we wanted to do in those first couple of weeks first couple, like first month was make decisions. We didn't want to make decisions. Picking which DoorDash we were going to do for dinner because we were, you know, and we were given so much support from our friends and family and, and gift cards and meals and all of that. But I remember even one of the most heavy things to do was, I don't I don't want to pick what I want to eat right now. <laughs> like I just want somebody to give me something. Uh, but at the same point in time, it's met with like, thank God that people are, are around us um, to support us in this way. And so I think that um, always approach it Always um, never have an expectation. Put the power back in the person, put the power back in the hands of the person who is grieving um, and then follow their lead. Yeah. Um, that's that's a really important thing that that I want people to understand. Like I said in the, and I, I, I've said this, I think I've said this today and I will say it for forever. I love talking about my kids, all of them. I love talking about my firstborn. I love talking about my secondborn because he is all Cyrus is always going to be my secondborn child. Hampton is always going to be my firstborn child. And I will beam with pride at the fact that they are my mm-hmm. kids. And that might be all I ever want to say. Or I might dive straight into it. I was at the gym today and a guy was asking me about, uh, like, you know, saying that, um, like we're about to enter a new season as a family. And he's like, Oh, cool. Do you have kids? I was like, yeah, we, we do. We, um, and we actually, we uh, had a child pass away in December. Um, and he asked questions and it was beautiful. And he at first said, I'm so sorry. And then, uh, it ended up him sharing something about his family that had walked a similar journey, not him, but like his sister, I think his sister and brother-in-law. Um, and so I think that that was one of those moments where it, if somebody wants to talk about it, they'll talk about it. And if they say, uh, thank you for saying something. This is just not the right environment to have that conversation. Then follow their lead. Um, it, it is one of those things of, I think that um, I'll address, maybe I'll maybe step on some toes with this and I'm fine doing that. More often than not, what I feel like, and I've been guilty of this in the past too, I feel like I have to do something 
because I feel guilty rather than saying, hey, do you need anything or can we talk? And if I don't hear a response, then letting it go and saying that is my answer, right? And being okay with, if, if you want to have the conversation and somebody's not ready, don't pressure that. Yeah. Honor what they're honor their journey, honor what they're wanting to do, and and follow their lead. Um, because again, in the end, yes, you're being you're wanting to be helpful, but their grief is not about you. Yeah, I think it's worth stepping on toes there if any were stepped on, <laughs> just because as Christians and just as decent people, we have yeah. to learn how to love well when things are going well, but even more so when things aren't going well in someone's life. Yes rather than withdrawing just because it's awkward. And so I think you gave some really practical handles in terms of say something, do something. Say something. Or saying nothing speaks louder than anything else. And then also once you say something, then follow their lead. I think that's those are just two very practical, just words of, of wisdom and guidance for anybody that is walking through this with someone right now. So thank you for for sharing that. Yeah, thank you for asking. Just as a, a final question, what do you want people to know about Cyrus? Um, I want people to know that his life has meaning. I think that as a world, uh, there's a lot of conversations around the meaning of life inside the room, the womb. Um, I don't know if that question will ever be answered by the world on this side of heaven. However, I can tell you point blank that the days that the days that we spend as a family with him are days that I'll never forget because those are the days that those are the only days that I had with him. And so, I think that for people to remember that his life means something, mm. not past tense, means something. Um, and we we talk about him in a present tense in our house because while he's not here, he is still alive in heaven. He has more life than I do because he is he has life abundant and I have life that is temporary here. Um, and so I think that for us, it, for our family, and I can speak beyond on behalf of my family when, when I share this, that we want people to know that his life means something, um, but also to know that that what he's been given now is what we should all be longing for, which is life with Christ. And and that it's it it took, I'm not going to say, I, I don't want to say it like this, but I think I might have to, um, which is intimidating for my own heart. Um, but I think that at the end of it all, his life showed me and taught me that there is so much more with Jesus um, than I'll ever have with anybody else in my family or anybody else here on earth. And that's a really heavy spot to come to. Um, But also we look forward to the day that we get to heaven and we see people and meet people that say, hey, it was because of your son that I chose a different outcome for pregnancy or because I um, I got back in church or um, one of the one of the hardest messages and greatest gifts that I've ever that we were ever given was a couple of days after his um, after he was born where a friend of ours said that it was because of Cyrus, not because of us, but because of Cyrus that um, and his life, that got her back into reading the Bible every day and started to just pour out so much meaning and legacy that we had. I mean, we thought maybe in a couple of years we'd hear stories like this. Never did we think that we would hear a story so intimate and personal, but to know that she has children and has a husband that their family now is different. Their house is different because of her choice to return back to the Lord in a way that she hadn't in a long time. And what that is going to start as a ripple effect for God to get the glory in the future lives of her children and what that can mean for her grandchildren. And and the, the song, The Blessing, is so tangible to us because it is just this, we want this ripple effect for His life 
to never bring credit back to us or what we are walking through, but to only give glory and honor um, to Christ and for people to chase after Christ with all they have. Because if we didn't have Christ, our our journey would, I, I shudder to think about what it would look like. I shudder to think about decisions that we might've made or the way that we would view any of it, any children, family, any of it, but we have Christ. And so with that, we have this meaning in his life that, um, in Cyrus's life that is just so tangible and that is with us every single day. Man, thank you for, thank you for letting us honor Cyrus's life Hmm. on the podcast. Thank you for your vulnerability, your openness about your grief, and also just the way throughout this whole conversation, you keep pointing us back to the hope that we have in Jesus, even in the middle of our mess, especially never discounting our grief, never discounting our pain, but still reminding us that in the worst of it, Christ is right there with us. So thank you for that. Ferris and I love you and Hannah and Hampton and Cyrus a lot. We love you guys. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, Wade. I pray that anyone walking through a journey of grief, no matter who or what has been lost, will be encouraged that Christ is with you. He's with you in your pain. He's with you in your confusion. He's with you in your doubt. And he can be trusted. But I also want to mention one more time that we need people to walk with us, that Christ walks with us through his people. And so one of the ministries that came alongside Bryant and Hannah is a ministry called Able Speaks, and they minister to families who have children with a life-limiting diagnosis. And they were a tremendous encouragement and support to Brian's family. And so if you want to support Able Speaks as they minister to other families that are in a similar situation, if you want to support them financially, there's a link in the description and the show notes. I get nothing from that. It's just a way to help families that are walking through just unspeakable pain and tragedy and for us to be the light of Jesus in their life. So check that out in the show notes and I'll see you next week on Dreamers and Disciples. Thank you.